0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Three, two, and one. It's the JT and Looney podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We're powered by our partners at Online, the number one source for all your betting needs and sports information. All the latest odds, news, and sports developments from the NBA, Major League Baseball, big fights, NFL futures. You can go bet on the Super Bowl right now at Bet Online. your continued source for all sports wagering needs, including live betting and the fan favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's really easy to get started. Head to the website or use your phone. Sign up. Use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V. That's the Believe Radio Network, the platform that JT and I use for the JT and Looney podcast. I love to use the word platform. It's very important. It's an FCC rule. You've got to use the word platform to sound smart and with it and young. Use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V. And that's your badge of honor for being friends with jt and looney or your your badge of shame either way you get a 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit at bet online where the game starts
1: three two and one
0: and now the podcast starts
1: welcome to the jt and looney podcast episode i don't care i care if you download and share there a definitely. number doesn't make us more money or less money so tom uh, welcome back uh this is an important conversation for us because your mom passed away since our last podcast uh from my wife who just talked to you and my entire family uh godspeed to you your brother your entire family and we're gonna miss toots
0: oh thank you so much uh, by the way you know i have almost total instant recall it is, is
1: episode 130 and for
0: anyone listening and and also for you you know when you are a parent remember you may raise a child that has a great memory, as you know. JT, my my IQ goes up fifty points when it's a social memory. I'm very social, just like you, and uh, with uh, and I told a lot of stories uh, at the church uh, in the eulogy and before and after with uh, friends and relatives uh, who called, friends and relatives who came to the funeral about things my mother taught me. Uh, Maya Angelou always said, you don't remember what people say, but you remember how they make you feel. But Maya Angelou, sorry, I know you got a Pulitzer, but she didn't know my mother. (laughs) And my mother had a great way of phrasing things and searing them into your brain. And I remember where we were, what car we were driving and the lessons she taught me.
1: Oh, what? I I watched the entire eulogy. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, yeah, it was a fabulous eulogy about the red lights going to green. Thank you. And everything that you talked about. And I want to get into this for a couple of reasons because it really hit home to me. My mom and dad are out in Vegas now and they're visiting me. My dad's about to turn 84 on Tuesday. My son's about to turn 21. They were born on the same day, (sighs) May 24th. And my mom and dad are here and they're vibrant and they're healthy. Your situation was interesting. You knew for a while about your mom's mental capabilities and what was going on, and you had the foresight to know that she was about to pass, and you got home in time. Tell us about that.
0: Yes, and they call Alzheimer's and dementia the long walk into the sunset. I not only had the the tip off from the doctor last week that if you'd like to see her, you' better come now if you'd like to see her again. he didn't phrase it that way. Of course he had a better bedside manner and it was through my brother that I was told that. but also with the long walk into the sunset, it's something you're more mentally prepared for than you know when your parents uh, dropped out of a heart attack or get in a plane crash, you know I would have needed a lot of help <laughs> if uh, from friends and family to hold me up if that was the case or if she had died much younger. my dad died at 31. I also consider you know this as a, a blessing that we got so many years on the other end not only from my mother but grandparents who lived to a really ripe old age and treated us wonderfully and so with that i also with all the exercising i do and the cardio and the and the uh, hiking and the uh, vast nature of los angeles i was able to practice a lot of what i had said and as you know with spoken word too a lot of times when you're done you sit down and you take a deep breath and you think oh you think of the things you didn't say but fortunately my friends and relatives uh and her friends and relatives all enjoyed what i had to say
1: well it's the most important speech you'll ever make in your life yes eulogy to a parent if you have the opportunity to do that and you want to get it right and you did get it right and you were very comfortable you didn't look like you were reading off of notes and it came Mm. from the heart and you had a lot of uh, spirited highs in it, a lot of energy. And again, it's a private matter, but I went, when I watched it, I was very moved by it because I think you understood the gravity of this, that you're different than your brother. Your brother's more technical and engineer and all that. Right. It was your job for the family to step up in that church where your mom was baptized, confirmed, married, where she had her funeral, for you to give that eulogy there for everyone who was in attendance i was blown away by it
0: it was such a great small town story and Myra has a lot of those stories where a woman like my mother and there were a lot of that were born raised went to church and school all within a thousand feet of home and that was my mother who was born a block and a half away from that church went to that church attended uh, first grade through, through 12th grade at the school right across the street uh saint patrick's grammar school on the first floor uh junior high what they call middle school now on the second floor and high school catholic high school on the Mm -hmm. third floor all in that one building what a charmed youthful life she had you know when i sat down i uh, uh, after i spoke i forgot to tell so many people about you know what the things they didn't know so many people there knew her uh, but that's what you think about when you give a eulogy about how all before the age of 30, she had worked at the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. Just for fun, she went and worked a summer in Atlantic City where people used to go uh, on vacation uh, all those years ago. She lived in Europe with my dad. My dad got drafted into the Army, and she wasn't going to go sit in Fort Bragg. She went to Europe with him and lived in Berlin. And on the weekends, they'd go gambling in Monte Carlo and bullfights in Spain and climb the Eiffel Tower but use the stairs and not the elevator, something I would would do right, and the Spanish Steps, and and so many, uh, and, you know, climbing the Leaning Tower of Pisa, and she had a really interesting life. All before, I think, that was all before the age of twenty-eight, and then came home and opened a business with my dad, who wanted to be an FBI agent and was a, and and became a professional dancer because he fell in love with a professional dancer, almost like the Seinfeld episode where. Uh, George was willing to become a communist because the girl was pretty, right? <laughs> Where my dad had all these masculine interests. And he played basketball and, uh, with Ernie Davis at and EFA. And, and, uh, but then he fell in love with a dancer, and uh, she taught him how to dance, and they opened up a dance studio, and, and he died young at 31. And the, great, the, uh, the the point of my eulogy was that you would think of that would be a major red light in someone's life. But it wasn't a story of a boulevard of broken dreams and red lights. She was able to turn our red light green, and both literally, metaphorically, as they told the story, and I will hear, but so many others did, grandparents and friends who didn't even, you know, children aren't always aware that you've been through trauma, but they, uh, the, we were so lucky that in the small schools we went to and the friends we had, that uh, everybody was able to also help us. And uh, you saw it but i'll tell it the when people wonder i remember sugar white mike used to call up the show and say nobody can be that happy all the time that that laugh has to be phony but i was really taught that you could you know that red lights were an opportunity in disguise we're coming over the main street bridge we're in a little volkswagen it's a mom with two boys no dad and we all we see is red lights up main street and elmira and my mother said we can turn these lights green with the power of positive thinking and this may explain to so many people why optimism is my oxygen i we're coming down the main street bridge the light at water street as we're rubbing our temples trying to turn it red to green turns red to green and then gray street right near people's place tommy hilfiger's first store red to green and then church street Clinton Street, Row Avenue, red to green, red to green, red to green, Washington Avenue, red to green, down the hill to jacknaps, auto parts and jeans, beans, red to green. And it was magical. And what my brother and I didn't know was Elmira population 30,000 was a test market for synchronized traffic lights. <laughs> but the but the blueprint was already there. In our head that we could turn red lights green with the power of positive thinking, and boy, did we have a red light that we needed turned green because we, you know, it was a magical thing that happened there, and so we were convinced that life was magical, but we knew it wasn't synchronized, or uh, or we wouldn't have already buried our dad at thirty-one.
1: And what but, I want to get into with your dad passing away is clearly you talked about in the eulogy. You mm-hmm. got a young. You're the youngest. Your brother is a little bit older than you, mm-hmm. You're very young. And everybody thinks of you two because you're the kids and you're going to be without a dad for the rest of your life. And for your mom to be without a husband and her partner at such a young age for mm. the rest of her life. I don't think we understand the gravity of that issue. She had to and I would assume was so focused on your upbringing with your brother that the grieving process had to stop, and she had to focus and make sure that you two weren't shattered by that news of your dad passing away. So she got on with her life and was so courageous to make you two look back at her and say... You know, we're okay now because mom's got this uh, mom's figured it out mom's gonna get us through life it's
0: unbelievable how a, a couple of things to unwrap there first of all at the, she ruined christmas for the rest of our lives after we left home <laughs> christmas was so magical between the ages of my dad died just before i went to kindergarten and christmases were just always so magical right up until i went away to college magical that it was never the same after that and uh, so so, yes, the, the, the home that she provided and the it was always go for it. I had a mother that had a crush on Evel Knievel that I wanted to get into the eulogy, too, which I forgot. I'm sure my brother's happy. You don't know what a crush is when you are a child. But, you know, you do when you're a big boy. And it wasn't it was my mother had these two boys and it wasn't the boys boring their mother saying, get in here. This guy's going to jump a motorcycle over 18 buses at Wembley Stadium. No, it was my mother. Who saw him on talk shows and thought Evil Knievel was so charismatic and said, "Boys, get in here! You got to see this guy." It was my mother that turned us on to Evil Knievel, and as I mentioned, taught us the rules of baseball and football and boxing, and put us in front of the TV if Hank Gam was going to hit a home run or O.J. was going to set a a rushing record. Where Dad would have been sitting in front of that TV, she made we were sure we were sitting there. She was a big Notre Dame fan, so it was organic that she was a sports fan. But when you mention that about her, how she was shattered, and we didn't know it, uh, many years later, she we, we talked about that. And she said, when something like that happens, and my dad was six feet two and so handsome, and lit up a room and you've seen pictures of people uh my, my grandparents for years had him in his army uniform on top of their TV and everyone was wondering why they had a picture of Elvis on their television <laughs> so that was uh that's uh, how charismatic he he was and he looked and she said she didn't want to get out of bed but she had to because two boys needed breakfast she just did not want to get out of bed but coffee a piece of toast which was what her which was her her breakfast her entire life uh she had no food obsessions like that. she was a dancer she was in great shape her entire life she wasn't food or physics she'd have to work as hard as at it as I did and she had to force herself you know in a lot of wonderful moms think of the other moms around this world wonderful people who couldn't get out of bed and end up, you know, a little substance abuse or something that's uh, not because they were bad people, not because they were they just because they they couldn't do it because they were so uh, shattered. And but she did it and uh, she was hurting and we didn't know it.
1: What was the transition like from the church to the gravesite?
0: Well, uh, that was what was interesting there was it went through everybody's head that a funeral procession. Uh, in Elmira, people aren't as impatient as they might be in uh, bigger cities that we were uh, we were going through lights, whether or not they were red or green. The red lights didn't matter. Everybody in the funeral possession mentioned that when either when we got to the funeral or when we gathered for a bite to eat afterwards, mentioned the uh, how it was in their head that the red light didn't matter. We were in a funeral possession and we were going through all of them. In order to get to saint peter and paul cemetery which is you know which is something people used to do every sunday i know how nobody else in the family does i know how to get to our families all the families uh tombstones on sunday my grandparents would always go water the flowers there and we were with them every other weekend my brother and i would trade on and off and and being as i told you my nostalgic memory um i remember i know where they all are so i'm very familiar with it my dad's there my grandparents my great-grandparents uh are all uh, are all there and that was you know it's also sentimental for me when i go there uh for that reason because i went there on so many weekends watering uh the geraniums that my grandmother would put on all the loved ones graves and so that that transition was uh you know something that uh i was you know as i mentioned i was expecting for uh for quite a number of years as she made that slow walk and when you kind of lose them mentally you're far more prepared i think for that day than i mentioned if it's sudden or when their mind is just fine and their body goes it's it's different for everybody and i think as i mentioned too you know i am um, even in the eulogy that I was a much bigger crier than my brother but still in life adult life a lot of times what brings me to tears is sentimentality love uh, uh but not death doesn't wreck me as much maybe as others because of the Catholic upbringing going to wakes and funerals and having had that happen when I was so young that it's not uh we when a fatherless boy grows up he thinks everything is possible but nothing is permanent and so uh i think maybe also because of the 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 trauma when i was so young of having your dad die before kindergarten i was uh prepared for another funeral because i certainly had been to a quite a large one when i was four
1: yeah and i think a lot of people are connecting in this podcast as we talk about the passing of your mom there's a lot of people aren't around their loved ones and family. You live in Los Angeles. Right. Your mom yeah. lived in Elmira, so the limited time you had with her every year, and you kept in touch. And you know, yeah. I, t- I to talked to my two or three times a day. year. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's much more difficult. I'm assuming when you got back on the plane and you flew into the mighty Los Angeles, and you're looking around, and it's not Elmira, and you just said goodbye of your mom in Elmira in a tiny little cemetery compared to what you could see in los angeles right of all that and then went back home and went back uh, to pick up your life and get back to work work knowing that your mom is no longer with us but it seems like you're in a really good place
0: yes i am what's always interesting for a lot of people when that transition is made and they've lost both parents and their home was the mothership that goes through your head where you know, there is no mothership you know um, uh, I'll go back, and I've got my mother, uh, I've got my brother and sister in law. My brother was an older father; he's got a, uh, a young daughter, first marriage, but had his first child at fifty. So he's got uh, my my niece is young, and that keeps my brother young and me. And so I will go back there to visit them. And and as I even mentioned, uh, I've got I've got three friends that I cannot sneak in out of town, and you you know this, because. You and I are both lucky if we named our 10 best friends, we wouldn't want to do it out loud because we would offend number 11. And uh, we, you, bo- you and I both think and I talked about this with my mother, how important friendship was is and that uh, you and I don't think of friends as accessories like rims on a car. We think of them as necessities. Same here. And so are there several friends? If I go back to the 607, I can't sneak in and out of town without seeing them and letting them know or it would be a major insult. And, you know, you wouldn't go to where Jimmy B lives and then not tell him you're in town. <laughs> you couldn't do it if you if your parents lived in the same town. Right. And I can't do that to Bobby or Grubba or Mike Hamilton. If I'm in town, I got to let them know or it would be a major slap in the face. And so now also this happens to a lot of people when your parents are older. That's one always one of your trips. And the reason focus for the trip and now i there's other cousins and people that i never used to let know i was coming through town because i wanted to focus on making sure every day i was able to visit my mother and now that'll help me connect and reconnect with so many cousins and you also um mentioned about where people live yeah when people with funerals now if you lived in a rust belt town Everybody had to come in from somewhere else, eight hours, 10 hours. It was, uh, it was quite flattering how many people did come in.
1: Well, it's a big topic going forward in my life, and you're going through it now is when you know my parents sold their only home they ever had mm-hmm. in Long Island recently, and they're not there anymore. But my Uncle Gene is, my dad's twin brother, my cousins. So I'll go back, but it's not like going back where my mom and dad lived. Right. Where my sisters lived. So it, all of a sudden, I'm looking at the big scope of it, and how busy we both are. We're lucky to be busy on when to get home. What is home? Is home <sighs> in upstate New York and New Paltz? Is it on the Jersey Shore? Is yeah. it on Long Island where my uncle is, where my cousin is, my aunt is? So those are big decisions. And, you know, when you come together, everything drops for a funeral. Right. Obviously. Everybody comes together together and if you're fortunate enough to uh, spread out the distance like you did between your dad's passing and your mom's passing and have all those trips and great memories in elmira all these decades man very fulfilling and now there'll be a new chapter in your life you'll go back home to visit the gravesite, to visit your brother to see people in and around that area and uh, i'm sure it's going to change your mindset of the town you grew up in
0: i talked about that with my cousins you know i always told them i never announced on social media or anything when i was going back uh, i would always put post pictures up after i came back because i didn't want to you know, I, I i neglected my cousins taking advantage of their their love uh knowing that they had no choice but to be my cousin and to love me and i uh, didn't always tell them when i was going back to amara and they've had to move out too but not that far away and now i have a chance to stop into their houses not be in a hurry and stop in binghamton and see cousin billy or uh, stop outside of Philadelphia and see my cousin David, etc. where before I didn't do that because I was in a hurry to get to Elmira to the mothership.
1: I've been on a whirlwind, traveling whirlwind, and it was all good. A uh, quick recap because we're okay. talking about life and obviously this podcast I wanted it to be all about and most of it about your mom and her important legacy. I, I just got back from Chicago where I emceed Mike Ditka's on Greats. Hall of Fame gala, which is a big deal for me. It was my seventh year in a row, sixth or seventh year in a row. And Coach Ditka is not in great shape anymore. And he's with the Walker. And he really is on the back nine of life. By I am not going to predict. I never predict how long someone's going to be with us. But it yeah, was no, nice. ghoul,
0: no ghoul pool here. No, yeah. none of
1: that. And I just wanted to see him and talk to him. And I, had, I was able to spend a few moments with him and his wife before I emceed this event that had a bunch of really cool people get into this Hall of Fame, including Jack Youngblood. What a rock star, (laughs) legendary (laughs) football player. spent a lot of time with him. John Riggins. His wife got in. John Riggins was there for his wife. (laughs) You are in safe company. (laughs) Yeah, those two guys were something else. (laughs) You weren't
0: going to get beat up hanging out with those guys.
1: 96-year-old, 96-year-old Marv Levy. Wow. The Marv Levy Impact Award, which went to Ron Rivera, the head coach of the Washington Commanders, what a story he is. His story is incredible. Played on the 85 Bears, was a legendary player at Cal, you know, took the Carolina Panthers to the Super mm-hmm. Bowl, multiple coach of the year. Marv Levy got up on stage to introduce Rivera with the award named after him, and I helped him lightly get up and down the stairs. He came down the stairs after his speech. I said, Coach, incredible. He walked right by me. Didn't need his hand, didn't reach his hand out. He came down the steps. I thought I was going to grab his hand, help him down. He's 96. Wow. And he walked. he walked over slowly to his table and sat down. But I was able to bring one of my best friends, Steve, on with me. I always like, as you know, to bring a friend on a trip. Mm-hmm. Whenever I can, I'm always the plus one guy. My wife can't make it. Bring in one of my buddies. And I brought in my buddy whose son actually lives out there and went to college. And we had an amazing couple of nights smoking cigar, cigars on, you know, the area right there in downtown Chicago, Michigan Avenue. And real quick story, I'll know you'll love this. We're outside after the banquet. I take my suit off upstairs, come back down. I put on some casual clothes, and my buddy Steve and I want to smoke a cigar. So we go out front to the valet, and the weather was like Maui for two nights. And then this last night, the skies opened up, and it was pouring. And I look to my left, and I see a guy with a bottle of wine outside and three glasses and I was, well, that was interesting and i look again and it was a gentleman with leon panetta uh oh, defense secretary right. head of the cia and i introduced myself to him told him i just finished MC and coach Ditka's event he was so excited to know coach ditka was there and he was a gentleman we took a picture had a nice conversation there's no politics right. I, I didn't look at him and ask him about okay. anything political right. we just had a nice conversation and then you know after that event when i got back to the airport uh, Saturday morning to fly home, I was very grateful because of Coach Ditka, and I hope I see him again. But it was one of those moments where it was fantastic to see someone that's so important to you who I could have an impact on, a tiny impact on, but he's had a much bigger impact on me, and to have a great night, and I just felt... Gratitude when I was at the airport, like, wow, I'm leaving Chicago to go back home. Everything went great. I got a chance to see Coach Ditka again. I hope I see him in the future. But you know what I mean? It was one of those moments for
0: Right, me. and you know, all those people are so old. And one of the reasons they are old, Marvin Levy at 96, uh, Mike Ditka at 196, uh, it's because they did what they love for a living. When you do what you love for a living, it puts, it's the one hocus-pocus that doctors believe in. Doctors need the math doctors do homework and stuff doctors are scientists they need facts but the one the one right-brained hocus-pocus thing doctors believe in is if you do what you love and your attitude uh is healthy and positive that you'll live longer and another thing i wanted to point out is congratulations to you on avoiding cliches you know reg good good people 90 to 100 99 percent don't know how so they go straight to politics for Leon Panetta. I have a friend at the gym, Ivan Ivan O'Bando, and he's got for, when I first met him, he had what he, what he called his Rolex. He caught me staring at his Rolex. It was the thing that people have on their ankle when they're arrested. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I think one of the reasons at the gym why he liked me is I never asked about it. I never asked him about it. He saw me see it stop staring at my Rolex but I never said why is it there I just treated him uh, like everyone else and I think uh I think that's how we became friends I think when you avoid cliches people remember it because don't ask the tall guy if he plays basketball my friend Willie six feet seven aerospace engineer at Penn State Willie Nelson and uh people asked him all day you play basketball Seven eleven. you play that no matter where he went and uh so yeah avoid the cliches people will like you better
1: and real quickly on ankle bracelets a really quick <laughs> thing here in vegas it's really i think i don't know if there's a twitter page for it i'll find it but they there you could see beautiful women at the pool yes with their ankle bracelets on their police oh. bracelets they, that, they <laughs> <Really>? do that they're in a bikini with that they're in their bikinis drinking <laughs> bottle service and with ankles on, you know, we got, uh-huh. we the party must go on. Uh, that's you know, one quick thing about, I want to uh, talk about the Ditka thing one last time, is that sure. week, you know, Sunday, Monday, I emceed the Bolitnikoff event, which was great. Got a chance to introduce Steve and Charlie Joyner, Paul Warfield. Just love just it. An iconic guy. God. I mean, Monday, Tuesday, then did a little radio. Then I flew to Ditka's on Thursday, Friday, and got home. And the MC part of my career is something that I want to bring up now for all the young broadcasters who are listening because we can be whenever we want a broadcasting podcast and a media podcast. A Mm -hmm. we're better than the consultants B we're much better than the consultants and program directors. (laughs) We have a history combined of over 60 years in radio and media. So we, we kind of get an idea of what's going on, but the emceeing events that I've done the last two over a week, it's up and down. As I said and I learned from you, I'm not a comedian. I'm not going right. to get up there and do a tap dance. Right. I'm not going to sing and open up the show with singing. My job is to keep the event you know, going. You don't do
0: impressions like Jay Moore?
1: No impressions like <laughs> Jay Moore. Nothing. So, you know, I got a chance to introduce Jack Youngblood and I said, ladies and gentlemen, one of the most famous names in NFL history and one of their greatest players. Pro Football Hall of Famer, this is Jack Youngblood. Mm-hmm. And then the entire video is the life of Jack Youngblood. I don't have to explain it. I don't right. have to add up the Pro Bowls. It's in the video. Okay. So let great, the video great. do it. And Warwick Dunn, I was saying to myself, what do I? how do I introduce Warwick Dunn? And I sat in my room with my notepad and I go, one of the fiercest runners to play in any era, but his legacy off the field is more important than football. This is Warwick done, Habitat for Humanity, all the homes he built, right. what he's done. It's remarkable what this guy's done. And he really appreciated it and he did all the talking. And afterwards, I was able to shake hands and talk to these individuals. But it's so nice to MC these events, not make it about myself. And that's what everybody should do because I got nothing to add. A couple of people know who I am. Some right. people I get a chance to do it, they're not there to see me, they're there to hear more from these legends
0: you're there because you're good with a microphone and you know how to move things along
1: so we right? move both yep. the events along but then after the events are gone I do turn into that guy can I get a picture can I get a picture, <laughs> can I get a picture? <laughs> we talk and have these great conversations right. coach Rivera uh, Ron Rivera we talked about his trip to Normandy and I went to Normandy. Oh, wow wow, beach wow Omaha. yeah we had that discussion and more of Levy my buddy Steve on's next to me and I said, Steve, this is the first ever special teams coach in the history of 100-plus years of football. And Marv lit up, and he was talking about George Allen, made him a special teams coach because George Allen thought offense, defense, and special teams were all equal in the game. And he was so excited. And then John Riggins, whose wife Lisa Marie was the woman, who went after the NFL for over a billion dollars in past benefits for the players who played before Mm -hmm. 1993 and got a billion dollars from the league. She gave the speech and we sat down and I thanked her for telling the story there. And again, I just want to use the word (laughs) grateful. It was grateful to be around people Who really appreciate being acknowledged at this stage in their life and to tell their stories and if
0: all you have to do is remember small things about people not big things small things i tell a story about you a lot of times when i tell people about you just because you remember a small thing marv levy people just remember big things in super bowls and ask them the cliche questions you remember you took a little time and learned about him people remember those things When we worked together i was sitting and you came in during a commercial i was eating one of those incredible carrot muffins carrot cake muffins from whole foods a big a big carb loading day for me and you looked and you said i was never a guy who liked sweets but i do like carrot cake and you walked out of the room years later one of your closest friends our boss died and you had a lot of people at your house as a coincidence that weekend during that sad weekend i knew you'd have a lot of people over and i knew more people would come over knowing how shattered you were so i bought you a carrot cake and you said how did you know i like carrot cake (laughs) because i had i just took that note years before when you said that because i always noticed in life if you remember one small thing people are so flattered it just takes you don't remember you don't have to remember birthdays nobody remembers yours anyway because it's on thanksgiving you just remember small things and people will love that
1: funny way and a great way to wrap it up i just sent you a photo of the most amazing carrot cake i ever had in my life i do all my damage eating meat and potatoes right yeah i don't eat sweets much we're at tau The restaurant Tao in Chicago. There's Tao in Hollywood. All of a sudden, (laughs) at the end of the meal, my buddy Jersey Joe Horo, former UNLV running back, hooks me up at Tao. And we have this unbelievable Asian fusion dinner. Mind-blowing. And at the end, they bring out a dessert, and they put it in front of us. And it's a potted plant. It's a potted plant with a carrot sticking out of the dirt. And it was all edible. The dirt oh. was chocolate the <laughs> carrot was wow. candy. and the shell, the, the red or the orange potted plant, which looked like it was all made out of cake. carrot cake. And wow. they split oh this God. magnificent piece of art open and inside was this creamy carrot cake. And I said, this is the most incredible. I asked the server, I go, what happened here? They said, well, we were serving all these carrot cakes in plastic. Well, we knew it wasn't good for the environment, so the chef found a way to make the tray that it comes in edible. And oh. I just wanted to share that with you as, I don't know where you mentioned my fondness for carrot cake.
0: <laughs> yeah, remember the small things.
1: God bless, toots.
0: Thank you for listening to all 33 minutes and 20 seconds of the JT and Looney podcast powered by Bet Online, where the game starts.